hear now the word of the Lord. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Japan team is still in Japan. That is why I am here. Um, to be honest, Pastor Eugene asked, and I wanted to say no, but I couldn't because there's only two of us. So I said, okay, fine. But um, I have to be honest, um, the past few days I was in L.A., didn't want to come back, really. The weather was beautiful and the food was amazing. But above all, I experienced and encountered the Holy Spirit there like I never had. And I just, I wanted to stay in that place. Um, but I am excited to share a little bit of that with you today. I'm not going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, but I do, I do pray that the Spirit would speak through me and that you would feel um, the presence of the Lord as we look through... Um, the end of Luke. Um, so you're, we have two more sessions on Luke today and then next week. So we're almost done. And I don't know about you, but I've been really enjoying this um, series on Luke. First of all, I really love the stage design, so I've been really loving that. But just going through the book, uh, the Gospel of Luke, it really is just the life and ministry of Jesus. And because I love Jesus, the more I read about what he's doing, it just burns my heart and it makes me fall in love with him all over again. And that's, I think that's natural. When there's someone that you like or someone that you adore, someone that you give your heart to and you see that person doing something really like awesome, it makes you fall in love with that person all over again. And that's how this series has been for me. Um, there are things in there that I've been learning, like God has been revealing things, but above all, I walk out of here and, you know, I take the week to think about what Pastor Eugene shared on Sunday. And I hope you do that. I really hope you take the time to, like, purposely meditate on the word that was spoken to you. Because the word of God spoken every Sunday is not for entertainment. It's not for, like, mind stimulation. It's really meant to bring your heart to a place of love for the Lord and to bring you to a place of life transformation. So sometimes I'm doing my dishes and I think about the message and I'm just like, Jesus, I love you. The way that you reached your hand out and, and, you know, healed that man, I love that about you. Because, you know, after a while, you will learn and you've experienced this yourself. That person who just got healed is not just the man, it's you. And so I see the Lord doing this to the, men, to the man and to the woman that he meets. But I also see Jesus reaching his hand, hand out and touching me. And so I really hope that the Lord would give all of us a deeper, greater love for him because uh, I think that's where it all begins. I think it begins there, and that's what fuels everything. Um, it's all about love. <laughs> it's all about love. And so I, I read his, li his life, about his life, um, up until this point. And, you know, you see his beautiful life marked by love, marked by teachings. You see his life and ministry marked by a lot of compassion. Jesus was so moved with compassion that it moved him to action. Um, that's how much he was filled with compassion for people. 
And you see incredible power. All of that, again, just makes me want to just love him more. And a lot of miraculous signs, a lot of miraculous signs. So it's no wonder at the end of Jesus' life, and that's where we are at. We skip through a lot, a lot of good stuff, but we have no time. So here we are. He's already on the cross. He's endured a lot of shame and mockery from his own people. And he's already on the cross at this point in Luke 23. And at the last few hours of his life, if you read the four Gospels, you see love pouring out of him, even up there on the cross. You see compassion. It's very hard for us to be compassionate when we are uncomfortable. Jesus was beyond uncomfortable. He was in excruciating pain, and yet he exuded compassion. And you see him just loving on the people. We're not going to go through all the seven words. But I also see miraculous signs. I see miraculous signs. And it's no wonder because that's what his life and ministry was marked by up until this point. So why should the way that he died, the way that he does his final work for his Abba Father be any different? And so I'm just going to point our attention to the two miraculous signs I see as Jesus is hanging on the cross and probably fighting fighting for his next breath and facing death head on, I see two miraculous signs. One is the darkness just covered the sky. Two, the temple curtain tore in two. Those two miraculous signs. And I want to pause here because I think it's important. Because when I look through the scriptures and I see you know, just the story of God and his relationship with people, I see this. I see that at every significant point in God's relationship and his story with his people, there are oftentimes miraculous signs that go with it. Because God is God, right? He is of a spirit and we are here as flesh. And so sometimes when those things collide, yeah, miraculous signs happen. And I see when God brought the Israelites out of slavery, he heard the cry and he brought them out of slavery. There were miraculous signs. I see when God officially established his covenant relationship with his people by giving them the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. I see miraculous signs. And definitely when our Savior Jesus was born into this earth, I see miraculous signs. Like heaven's breaking out into the, in, out of the sky singing. That's a miraculous sign. And here today, as Jesus is drawing his last breath, we see a miraculous sign. And it's, it's telling us something. It's telling us something really important, actually. A lot of people think when the darkness covered the sky, that it was maybe uh, getting cloudy and that it was going to rain. But when you read the scripture, it says the sun stopped shining. It doesn't mean it was covered by a cloud. It means the sun stopped shining as if it was night. And then some people say, oh, maybe it was the eclipse. But if you know anything about Passover, you know that the Passover is timed with the full moon. So there's no way it could have been the eclipse. So it is a miracle. And it's more than just a miracle. It's not just God showing off his power. When you look into it, the creation is testifying to something very deeply significant and spiritual that is taking place. As Jesus is on the cross, his, torn, his flesh torn, and he is fighting for his breath, 
And people are either spectating or mocking or leaving because he's about to die. There was something very spiritual going on. And so we see a miraculous sign here. And actually, it's a, it's a sign of what is going on. What is really going on? Jesus, who is perfect, is taking on the sins of all the world. And so that darkness that covers, yeah, it's really appropriate. It's really appropriate because you get a sense of wrath. I used to think... When I was younger, like you watch the Jesus movies, and then as Jesus is on the cross, the clouds cover the sky. And I used to think, oh, geez, God is angry. He's showing, he's showing his wrath in some way. He's angry that his people have rejected his beloved son, and they dare to put him on the cross. But then I realized, yeah, God is angry. It is, it is his wrath, but it's not on the people. The wrath that is being shown through these miraculous signs is really being placed only on one person. And that is his beloved son. So that's what's going on spiritually. On the physical, all you see are three criminals being crucified for their sins. On the spiritual, what you see is there's a spiritual transaction that's going on that you don't know. Only the Abba Father knows, and only Jesus the Son knows. And something deep is taking place that's going to change the world forever. It is shaking the heavens and the earth. That's what's going on. And most people are unaware. As I was was thinking about this, I did pray. I said, Lord, I want to be someone I want to be someone who can see beyond just the natural, what is right in front of my face. God, I want to be so filled with your spirit that I have the eyes to see what you're doing spiritually deeper than what I see on the outside. And that's my prayer for you. Back then, they had no clue. No one knew. No one knew what was taking place, right? The heavens were declaring what the people did not know. Pilate, Herod. Even some of the disciples, the spectators, they had no idea. The Pharisees had no idea what was going on. They just hated Jesus. They just wanted to kill him. But Abba, Father, and Jesus knew. Something deeply spiritual was taking place. And my prayer for all of us is that today and every day, God would give us the eyes to see what he is doing in our lives deeper and beyond just the physical that was just a sign. But that's my prayer for us. And the second miracle, miraculous sign is this. The curtain of the temple in the most holy place tore in two. The gospel of Matthew says that the earth shook. Luke doesn't say it. But in Matthew, the, there was an earthquake. And both Matthew and Mark say that the curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Luke doesn't say that. just says that it tore. But we can guess that it was torn from the top to the bottom. Now, why is this miraculous? Because it's not your average curtain. This is like used in the most holy temple. This is the big curtain that is separating the holy place from the most holy place. And that curtain, every time we see it, is a reminder of our sin. Actually, not just our sin. It's a reminder of the father's heart that longs to bring his children in. But because of his sin, he needs to put that up so that we would not die in his holy presence. So when you look at that curtain, you not only know the father's heart, 
But you also see the reality of your sin that blocks you from experiencing his presence. And as Jesus was getting ready to draw his last breath, that curtain tore from top to bottom. I mean, timing alone shows you that this is a miracle. But the, the massiveness of that curtain, there's no way anyone could have climbed up that curtain and tore from the top to the bottom. If anything, if someone wanted to tear it, they would tear it from the corner or the bottom. But it split completely in two from top to bottom as the darkness was covering the sky. Why? Because God's justice is about to be satisfied. Sin is being paid for, but it's not being paid by us. It's being paid by his son. A debt is being paid for, and that's the spiritual transaction that God is doing at this moment. So you have that. That's the backdrop. Something is happening. And then Jesus at the very end, you know, he says his last words. And, you know, there's a lot to say about, about the words that come out when you are in incredible pain, when you feel like you're facing death, or when you are about to die. And if you remember, just a few years ago, I, I really, really genuinely felt like I faced death in Mexico. If you remember a few years back, um, I took a few people from EM and we went to um, Yucatan, Mexico, the same trip that we always go on as a church. And it was an incredible trip. Um, I bonded with the kids, Pastor Pat did his thing, and we were just, it was great. And then at the very end, a lot of things just kind of, uh, I don't know what happened. I, I, don't, I don't know what happened, but we lost our passports, um, or they got stolen. And then a few of us got so sick, we had to stay behind. And there was this one girl, I'm not going to say her name, but this one girl was so sick that she had to be taken to a separate clinic. And they said, don't worry, Pastor. We'll take care of her. And I said, okay, let me just send the rest of the team off with their temporary passports. And I go to the clinic, and this girl cannot even recognize me. I really thought of ways how I could call this girl's sister and say to her over cow talk, your sister died in Mexico under my watch from who knows what, right? And I just, I I. I never prayed that hard before. I was like, Jesus, please save her life. Like, Pilgrim has never had, oh, a martyr. I was like, if I'm a martyr, that's cool. But not for this girl, right? She's young and, you know, she has to get back to her parents, her sister. I prayed so hard. And it, there was a time where I had to give her medicine every two minutes. And she was just shaking on the table. And I thought, oh, this is it. This is it. And she didn't even know what I was saying to her. She didn't know who I was. But she kept saying this one word over and over again. Do you want to know what that was? Oh, yeah, you don't care. I'm going to tell you anyways. She was on the table and she kept saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. She was like crying in pain and the only word that came out was Jesus. And I remember that, actually, go back to that often. Because I am convinced that when someone is near death, there is no filter. Some of you in here just have no filter at all, any time. But I know, I know that most of us have the self-control to have a filter. But when you are that near death or when you're in that much pain, let's be honest, you don't have a filter. And whatever is at the core of who you are at that moment comes out. 
You can't stop it. And for this girl who was lying on the table, she just kept saying, Jesus, she doesn't even remember this, actually. I asked her. She doesn't remember. But Jesus just started coming out. I'm convinced that was her spirit crying out for the Lord because she wants to live, right? But she was just crying, Jesus, Jesus. And I don't know about you, but if I'm near death or I'm, like, in pain, I hope what comes out is godly stuff, Especially if I'm in front of you guys. I want godly, pleasing things to the Lord. I want worshipful things to come out. And that's what she did. She said, Jesus, Jesus. And Jesus, as he is facing death, he says seven words. I'm going to take us through his last one. As he is facing death, and at that point, so much fluid has filled his lungs, he's barely alive. And even more than that, it's, you know, he's, his flesh has been torn already. He's in pain all over. I don't know if you can think straight at that point. But Jesus, as he's on the cross, what does he say? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Even though he knows it was the father who asked him to do this. Even though this is the work of his father. That's what's important. It's not the Pharisees that are putting Jesus on the cross. That's what they think. But what they don't know is God is so sovereign. His hand is at work in everything. And he is orchestrating this for salvation. And Jesus knows that full well. And yet hanging on the cross, he cries out, Father. And he doesn't say, Father, why? There must have been a better way. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Father, help me. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Father, end this pain right now. He doesn't say that. What's at the core of Jesus comes out, and it's beautiful. He says, Father, Into your hands, I commit my spirit. It's actually taken from Psalm 31. And I hope this doesn't make it any less, like, awesome. But actually, it's a bedtime prayer that children were taught by their mothers. Jewish children were taught this prayer to pray at bedtime. And the line from that psalm, one of the lines is, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus just added the father part. But if you read that psalm, if you look at the heart of what Jesus is doing here, he is crying out in complete trust. Like how can you trust your father when he puts you on the cross and blood is flowing out? But he he prays us in complete trust and complete surrender. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Even when he is just burdened by the weight of the, you know, the sins of the world, the guilts of the world. Even though he's looking right at death, he knows his time has come very soon. Yet in faith, he holds out to the Father and he says, I commit my spirit into your hands. What is he saying? Father, I trust you. Even though I'm in pain, I trust you. Even though this is too much for me to bear at times, and I know that my time is up, Father, I trust you. And to the very end, I will be faithful in walking, in surrender, in obedience. That is what Jesus is saying. And he's showing us something beautiful here. Jesus is showing us what true trust, 
surrender and obedience looks like and it goes way beyond feeling it goes way beyond emotion and it's it's really rooted in who Abba Father is who I am in Abba Father and that he is love that's what this is rooted in Jesus knows he came from the father and he knows that the father has given him a mission and what is that it's to drink the cup what is that cup grape juice no it's not grape juice it's a cup of God's wrath. Jesus knew that full well. And yet he knew because his Abba Father loved him. He loved his Abba Father. And it was his delight to do the will of his Father. It was his delight. Gosh, don't you wish that we could get to that point where whatever the Lord asks of me, it is my delight to say yes to you, Jesus. I don't have to go over there and then think about it. I don't have to go over there and talk to other people about it. I don't have to try to convince my heart to do it. I don't have to write the pros and cons before I say yes to you. When Jesus says, this is what I am asking you to do because I trust my Father so much and I'm in that place of complete love and safety in his presence, I say yes, Lord. That's what Jesus did. Yes, Lord, I will take that cup and it's not out of fear. It's not out of obligation. It's my delight, God, to do your will. But it wasn't easy. And so I want to turn us to a, a chapter right before that, if that's okay. Can you turn to Luke 22? Luke 22 and start with verse 29. It's one of my favorite passages. Um, when I read this, I was telling some people about this. When I read this, and I, I admit I'm an odd person, but Pilgrim is full of odd people, so I'm just going to tell you. When I read this passage, I get this like, um, this, this sense of privilege. Because if you really were to look into what Jesus is doing at the Mount of Olives or the Garden of Gethsemane, and you look at why he is there and what he is saying to Abba Father and what is actually taking place, it's, a, it's an intensely secret, intimate, and sacred moment. If you really understand what's going on, it's very private. And it's intimate, and it is sacred what is taking place in that garden. And so whenever I read this, I just feel like, well, I'm given like a, like a VIP uh, pass into seeing one of the most, I think, um, intense moments in, in, by, in the New Testament for me. But Jesus, if you read that, Luke 22, uh, starting with 29. Um, I'm just kidding. It's not 29, it's 39. I confused myself. Luke 22, 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. Again, Jesus went out as usual. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives to pray. What does that mean? It was his custom to go to the Mount of Olives to pray. What does that mean? It was his custom to be before the Abba Father alone. And so if you want to be someone who, as a child of God, learns how to obey the Father no matter what, if you want to, let's start with this. 
If you want to be a child that learns to discern the voice of God, you must make it your custom to be with the Lord. You cannot just stand up and say, Father, I want to hear your voice. Please speak to me. Even Jesus, who experienced an intimacy with God, so intimate, even he would make it a custom to go into the Garden of Gethsemane and be with our Father. It was his custom. So yeah, he was very in tune with the Father's voice. He was very in tune with the Father's purpose and his will, his heart. And he was, he was able to enjoy that closeness. And so to me, this is like a, it's almost like a bedroom. It, that's how private it is. It's like a bedroom scene. It's so intimate. And he's calling out to his Father. And he goes in to pray after the, the Last Supper because he knows his time had come. And if I knew that my time had come, there are a lot of things I would do. Um, I hope that it would be prayer. But for Jesus, it was automatically prayer. And he went to the Mount of Olives because he knew he would need strength to be obedient to the very end. And what does he do when he goes into the Mount of Olives? Does he say, come on now, give me the cup. I am ready for you, cup. Besides, I am 100% divine. I'm divinity. I can handle it. Give it to me. Let me drink of it. I can, I can do it. Is that what Jesus said? No. Because he is also 100% human. He says, Abba, Father, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup of wrath pass from me. Is there any other way than to drink this? And he is so earnestly praying. He is in agony. He is wrestling with his father in his spirit. And God, and this happens, comes out only in Luke, God sends an angel to Jesus, his beloved son. And the angel comes and he touches Jesus, but it's not so that he could take the cup away from him. It's not even just to turn to lessen the pain. It's not to, it's not to take away half of the cup. The angel touches him, and what we see is the angel strengthens him. And what comes afterwards? He continues to pray. After the angel touched him, it gave him the strength to wrestle even more. And after that, he gets up. And he says, not my will, but yours be done. That's incredible. He didn't downplay the cross. He didn't downplay the pain. He didn't downplay the suffering and the mockery. But he did fix his eyes on something outside of himself, outside of the pain that is to come. And he was able to say, not my will, but yours be done. And we see it carried him all the way to that moment on the cross when he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Complete obedience. How did he do it? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy, the joy set before him endured the cross. That's how he did it. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What is this joy? 
Well, some people say, well, I know what joy it is. It's the joy of knowing that I have done my Father's will. But it says that the joy was set before him. Jesus already knew full well the joy of doing the Father's work because he's been doing that his whole life. There was never a time or a day or a moment in Jesus' life when he was not doing the Father's will 100%. So I don't think it's just that. Yes, he would know the joy of doing the Father's will, but there's something more. Something that he had not tasted before. And that's the joy that was set before him. And that is what gave him the strength and the motivation to fully be obedient to the very end when he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. So what is this joy? What is this joy that, the, that Jesus did not know in heaven, that he could only know at this end of the suffering and the crucifixion? It's you. It's you. It's me. It's us. It's saving us. It's loving us. It's reconciling us to the Father. It was us. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Some people might say that surrender is weak and soft. I don't know why some people are so afraid to be weak and soft. But that's not the point. Because when I look at this, there's nothing weak and soft about this. The kind of surrender that Jesus lived out was not weak and it was not soft it was painful it was hard he had to wrestle through it he needed the angel's help he needed the father's help and it was beautiful when i look at jesus's death and i see his birth i've been thinking about the just the the contrast between jesus's death and birth when Jesus was born, it, it was announced to just a few. It was a private affair. It was announced to a, a few wise men. And then it was announced to the shepherds and then, um, and then the animals in the barn, I guess. Um, but when you see his death, it's very public. And I think this is one of the reasons why the sky turned dark. It's because people, even if they didn't know who Jesus was and what was going on, if the sky turned dark at noon... That's what it, it, it says, that it's turned dark at noon. You're about to come out and find out why. And if you just step out of your house, you know that Jesus of Nazareth is getting crucified. His death was very public, on display for the whole world to see. And there's a reason why I think it was made so public. It's that time has now come for all who witnessed this to now respond. See, Jesus' life and death was not just an event for you to look at. It's not for you to read about. It's not for you to just talk about or for you to teach. Jesus' life and death really, really is something that demands a response from everyone who sees it, everyone who witnesses, everyone who hears of it. It demands a response. The centurion, who is not a believer, looked at all that happened and said, truly, this was a righteous man, son of God. And there were some spectators who came, saw Jesus die, and then went away. Because they only came for curiosity's sake. And then at the very end of this passage, Jesus' friends are watching from a distance. But the call I want to give to you today is this. 
And that is a one of surrender. This is a God who has poured his life for you. Who thought of you as he drew his last breath. You and also delighting his father. And the call is now this. Will you trust and follow me? As Jesus was obedient to the very end and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What does that surrender and obedience and trust look like for you? And I pray that you would walk daily and say, Lord, what would you have me do today? Give me the strength, give me the faith, give me the supernatural ability to follow you. That I may be fully, fully obedient and surrendered to your will. Let's take some time and pray. I believe that there are some of you in here who have already been trying to live this life of surrender for a long time. But at this point, you are tired. You're worn out. There is no more joy for you in this. There is no more excitement in following Jesus and walking in obedience. We'll pray that the spirit would fill you with joy once again. That he would open your eyes to see Jesus and the beauty of what he has done so that you might be joyful as you walk in obedience. And then there's some of you who have never answered the call to follow Jesus. Some of you have only been spectators till now. But the call today is to look upon Jesus and to make the decision to follow him. Not my will, but yours be done, God. And if that is you, just lift up a prayer and ask the Lord to guide you to that cross and guide you to that place of ultimate surrender where Jesus surrendered his life for you first. Yeah, so just take some time and pray. Let's pray together.